It is good to see you guys this morning. We are continuing our series uh, overall from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4 and chapter 5, as we look at Jesus as Lord over each and everything. Uh, Mark, chapter 4 and chapter 5. How many of you have ever felt in your life as if something caused you not to fit in? Anybody ever been there? Maybe you were the tallest person, the slowest person, the least athletic person. I am two out of three of these things right now. And when you consider what it means to not fit in, you don't just think about the fact that you don't fit in. You think about the fact that you not fitting in doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. I was a chunky child growing up. I'm a chunky adult now. And in my chunky childness, there was a situation. I was at a, a church, East Lake Baptist Church, and we are going to have a musical during the summer because they thought they should make you sing. Not only was I uh, unathletic and slow, I also could not sing, but they kept making me sing. They kept making me be part of these musicals. And the theme of the musical that year, according to what we called then the Baptist Bookstore, now it's called Lifeway, but you can just buy their things online, but that has nothing to do with anything. When you would uh, buy the musical, the one that we were going to do was called The Backyard Gang. And it was this whole story about how there were some of us who were uh, a, a group of kids who, for whatever reason, spent a lot of time in a treehouse. And then there was another kid who was an outsider. So they decided for this backyard gang musical that they would buy all of us matching t-shirts. So they ordered matching t-shirts for everyone in the group. And when the t-shirts came in, all of them were green. And they had the logo on them. And when they handed the t-shirts out, they realized what they had not realized when they looked at me before the t-shirts were ordered. And that is the fact that they had not ordered a shirt that would fit me. So these very well-meaning, very well-intended senior adult ladies thought the best thing they could do for a chunky child in this situation was this. Not just to let me wear a green polo and let that be enough. Like I work for True Green, they decided that they would take one of those t-shirts, cut the center logo out of the t-shirt, tape or glue that to another t-shirt. And if that was not enough, they would take puffy paint and spray around the rest of the shirt. After they sprayed the puffy paint, they used green glitter. So everyone else has their matching t-shirts, and I'm standing there in my Bobo t-shirt, and we're singing in front of our church, and everyone who looks, they see that there's one person who does not fit in. When we get to Mark chapter 5, we are in a situation where we have a woman who is in a much worse situation than me, and that she did not fit in. Mark chapter 5, we look at the story of a woman who had had things happen to her in her life where everyone who looked at her, everyone who interacted with her, would tell her she did not belong, that she should not be where she was, that there was no reason for her to be there, that she, by her very presence, was impacting and affecting everyone she came in contact with negatively. I'm going to read through this. Mark chapter 5, if you are, have been with us, we've started in Mark 35, where we see Jesus calm the storm. He dealt with disaster. Last week, we saw Jesus cast out demons. Today, we're going to see Jesus deal with disease, but we, we'll get the, the double whammy when we read through this passage because we're going to be in this portion of text for the next two weeks. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Let's pick up together. 
When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, there we are with that phrase again, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. Now, if you were with us last week, before I continue reading, you'll remember a large crowd has just ran Jesus off. We don't want you here because you've affected our finances, you've affected our resources. You're doing weird things, Jesus. We would like for you to leave. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and they were pressing against him. Now Jesus, now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and they did not help her at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she reached to touch his clothing. And she touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples came to him. You see the crowd pressing against you, Jesus. Yet you wonder who touched you? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and with trembling. Knowing what had happened to her came and fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Now, I mentioned last week, if you were with us, that when you break down narrative passages like this, a pastor at times will try to give you an outline. And I'm going to give you what I consider to be a relatively clean outline to what is a messy story. Because whenever you're working through the writings of Paul or the writings of Peter, you can extract outlines that seem to make sense. They're not clunky. But when you read through a narrative situation where you have actual interaction between actual people, one of the fears that I have whenever we talk about the Bible from a stage like this is we treat these people as if they're characters. They are not characters. They're human beings. This woman is a human being who is in a real human situation with real human hurting. But just for the sake of you having notes to write down, let me give you this. this uh, we see these three things in the text. 5 verses 21 through 29. It's the story or the setup. Secondly, the standoff. 5, 30 through 33. And then you see the shift. 34. One more time for those in the back. The story Story 5, 21 through 29, the standoff 5, 30 through 33, and the shift 5, verse 34. Again, when Jesus had crossed over, verse 21, by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the sea. He just ran from a large crowd. He's come to a new crowd, but this one's different because the last crowd ran him off, and this crowd wants him to be there. Why? One of the synagogue leaders, in the passage names him, Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, this person sounds like a big deal. 
But this is a big deal in a small town. Think about the smallest town that you can come up with wherever you came from. The smallest town in Texas from which you're in. For the smallest town from whatever community you're from. Now that mayor is a big deal there, yet you kind of get it. That's what Jairus is. He's a big deal for the people that he lives among. Jesus is coming. And the thing about Jesus coming, if you're a religious leader, where Pharisees were a big deal, is if Jesus is coming, he's going to be a big problem. Because all of the religious experts that Jairus deals with at the synagogue, they are frustrated with Jesus. And Herod, uh, on top of the Pharisees, is also really upset because this Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom of God. And kingdom of God movements are supposed to be squelched because if there is a kingdom of God, then Herod has been depowered, even though he did not realize he was already depowered. He's a puppet king. Jairus should stay away. That's what you should do if you're the leader of a small town and this rebel rouser comes into town. This troublemaker shows up. Jairus should stay away, but what happens? Disaster strikes. And when disaster strikes, it sends us to places that we would not go. It makes us do things that we would not do. It causes us to seek and search for hope in places where we do not want to seek or search for hope. And he says this, I'm not going to worry about religious controversies or political problem. My kid is really sick. She's almost dead. And if she dies, that makes everything around her unclean. And if she dies, she's gone. So I could care less about Herod. I could care less about the Pharisees. All that I'm hearing in the stories about this man is that he does things that other people do not do. And if I can just get a hold of that, that may save my child's life. This line in the story stops. This is exactly where we come to our conclusion in regards to Jairus today. The named official of the area who everyone thought highly of, who is a major portion of the synagogue. The story stops, and we've got another impurity. Wait a second. We're going to have an impurity that we deal with in this text? We're going to come across another problem in this very small town with this very important person in the small town that would take away from the attention of Jesus? Jesus is not going to get to a dying child on time? Evangelist E.V. Hill, who ran with Billy Graham, said this, God is never late, but he has missed several golden opportunities to be early. That's a good word, friends. We look at the text and we see it continues that when you read from what you see, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, like I said, my little daughter is dying, come lay your hands on her. So that she can get well and live. Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and they were pressing against him. And here we move from person one to person two. But we come back to Jairus next week because Mark's working in a sandwich here. I love sandwiches and that's why I love this passage. We're talking early on about the idea right here of Jairus. We're going to move to another person and then we're coming back to Jairus next week as we shift from disease to, spoiler alert, death. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. She was a forgotten woman. 
She'd forgotten what it meant to be whole. She'd forgotten what it meant to be accepted. Just to give you a, a point of reference, when you read through Leviticus chapter 15 in your um, devotion tomorrow morning, you'll see this woman with this issue of blood, is, she can't sit in a chair or lie in a bed. And if you were to sit in the chair and lie in the bed, if you did, touched anything that she touched, you would become unclean. She was judged on top of judge. She was unacceptable. She was impure. She was in crisis. And her crisis, for whatever reason, was everyone else's inconvenience. It's a story of hygiene, really, in the world that Jesus lived in. They're, they're thinking about, they're considering this. They read all of the things that you see in the book of Leviticus about uncleanliness and all these uncleanly laws they take and they put them in order and they give them a structure and they say this, because we see all of these things, let's, let's lay it out and we'll make sure that we give rules and regulations to how these unclean, impure people should be. Now remember, we've got Jairus named earlier, we've got his daughter already mentioned we have important people in town and this lady she's not important we don't even get a name for her she's on the outskirts of town she's not spending time with anybody uh, when you look at her story you can see that there are numerous things that are overwhelming about it. When you look at beyond the teachings of the Old Testament, when you look at the world in which Jesus lived, where he walked, where his feet touched the ground, there was a Roman commander named Pliny the Elder, and he said that the touch of a menstruating woman is harmful. A, a menstruating woman could not touch or speak to other people. Why? Because her breath is harmful and her gaze was detrimental. You were not allowed to walk in her footsteps. You could not follow her. You could not greet her. This woman lived her entire life in isolation. She was pushed to the side. She was on the outskirts. She was made to feel all alone. Hope is watching a show right now. It's called Alone. It's on Netflix. It's about people who survive in the woods for $500,000. And as they are surviving in the woods, this isn't like Survivor where everyone is like really cool looking and they all have cool tattoos and for whatever reason they don't wear enough clothing. This thing takes place in British Columbia and they're all in coveralls and they're trying to stay warm and they're building trees and killing raccoons or, and wolverines with their bare hands. That really happened the other night right before I went to bed and I could not sleep for an hour. You see these things that one man shot a moose with an arrow. No spoilers. I'm just telling you this is how it works. And the longest someone has gone on the show is 81 days before they defeat everyone they're competing against living all alone. This woman lived alone for 12 years. For 12 years, everything that she did affected everyone around her. For 12 years, she, her crisis was the inconvenience of people she came in contact with. She was all alone. She wanted healing, but it did not seem that there was healing to be offered to her. The passage says in verse 26, she had endured much under many doctors. It lets us know that she's a woman of means. Which says to her, to her, us to her that her economic situation was better than many of the people around her because she could seek after healing. Imagine if you're one of the people who don't have any means to seek after healing. She had spent everything that she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, the writer says, she became worse. <laughs> 
Here were some of the ways that doctors tried to heal these women when they had the issue of blood. One guy says that you should procure Persian onions, not the red onions that I like on burgers. Procure Persian onions. You boil them in the onion. You boil the onions and you say to the woman, cease your discharge. That was actual encouragement from a doctor. Here's the second way that we see this. My friend Wes shared these with me. Make her sit at a crossroads with a cup of wine in her hand. Have a man sneak up behind her, frighten her, and yell, Cease your discharge. Uh, Here's the third. Smear 60 pieces of ceiling clay all over the woman's body, and you yell, Cease your discharge. These are not doctors. This is how I get rid of the hiccups. That's what's happening here. This woman has spent her money on this kind of shenanigan. She has gone to the pages of Google that are not really helpful. They just communicate that they're helpful. Having heard about Jesus in verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be better. I will be made well. Luke says this, it says it this way. She approached from behind and she touched the end of his robe. She hears about this Jesus and she plans to go go to him in a crowd and just touch his garment. I'm not going to bother him. I'm not going to speak to him. I'm not going to gaze at him. I'm just going to reach up and grab the end of his robe. I don't need his attention. I don't need his acceptance. If I can just get to his cloak, that's all that I need. The common thought among Jewish people was that a rabbi's cloak was enough to do something. It was enough to help in some small way. For her, a little chance of something was way better than absolutely nothing. She is at rock bottom and she wants God to do what she cannot do. Why? Because we don't ask God to do the things that we can do. How many of you when you woke up this morning said, God, just help me stand up from the bed. You just got out of the bed. How many of us, when we went to the sink to brush our teeth, said, Lord, just get me through this scope. Lord, just get me through this toothpaste. How many of us asked God, God, could you just make sure that I can get my breakfast down? We don't ask God to do the things that we can do. Because we have a short-sighted view of God at times. I don't pray, God, help me eat this, help me do this. This woman sneaks up behind Jesus to touch his cloak. But notice what happens. If she's sneaking up on Jesus in a crowd, she's not just going to touch Jesus. She's going to touch everyone in the crowd. You know what it's like to go to Walmart right now. All the people who are walking the wrong way down the aisle, you're doing your best not to rub shoulders with them. You're trying your best to avoid their saliva. The passage says, instantly, her bleeding stopped. Her flow of blood stopped. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. But in being healed of her affliction, before she touched Jesus, what had she done? She had afflicted everyone she came in contact with. 
And when she touches Jesus, she has not just affected everyone she's come in contact with before. She has made Jesus, by her touch and by her standards, unclean. Now, Jesus being unclean would become an inconvenience because that means that he would have to stop exactly where he is, cannot continue on his mission to the daughter of Jairus, and he would have to wash up and go through all of the arts of ritual purification. This has affected everyone. The actions of one affect everyone. So we move to the standoff in 30-33. Immediately, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? The place was crowded. Jesus was in town. He's a big deal. This is like being at Target on, on Black Friday. It was the holiday season. In, in, a, in, in very much like the holiday season that we think about when we consider Thanksgiving and Christmas. There was nowhere for Jesus to go. This crowd is coming in from his left, coming in from his right. They're in front of him. They're behind him. Everyone wants to touch Jesus. Everyone was pressing against Jesus. Jesus stood out. He stood out so much that there were times that he had to go be by himself. He stood out... Because he spoke with power and he treated others with compassion. He loved those who were outcast. He cared for the broken. He even ate meals with sinners. And honestly, he stood out because everyone wanted a show. And Jesus was the best show in town. He owned those moments and he pointed to something greater and greater and greater. Bigger realities, better realities than everyone around him had ever even thought about. And no one had even mentioned. His disciples look at Jesus and they say to Jesus, you see the crowd pressing against you? It's almost like they're telling a joke. Jesus, what do you mean someone touched you? Everyone is touching you. Everyone wants a piece of you. But he was looking around to see who had done this, the passage says. Verse 33, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and she told the entirety of the truth. Now we've got to stop and evaluate that for a second because the verse communicates very quickly what happens more than likely over a few moments. She has to be confused. She touched him, but she was sneaky. She did not want him to acknowledge it. If it works, that's great. The touch would be worth it. But if it doesn't work, this is bad for her. Twelve years. Nobody thought she was worth anything. Yes, she was in the crowd, but she was not part of the crowd. The scriptures use the word trembling. She's got to be out of sorts. This was impossible for her. This was possibly, listen to this, her first meaningful interaction with a human being in 12 years. Her husband had every right to divorce her. She was not allowed to touch her children. She could not be around people. Her nerves were on end. She was, her body was shaking. She was trembling. With all this new strength she just regained, all of it went away. She felt faint. It, what are they going to think? It, it was me. What's he going to say? I, I did it. Is he going to point me out like everyone else has pointed me out for the last 12 years? Is he going to roll his eyes? Is he going to have me killed? This man could have this crowd take me away because they love him and they hate me. I touched you. The 
floodgates open, Luke tells us that she told him why she had touched him. And this is a huge why. She begins to ramble. I reached out and I touched you because I've heard about your power and your healing and your love for people who are unclean and I'm unclean and everyone knows I'm unclean because I've been bleeding for 12 years and my husband hates me and I can't touch my babies and I have to get water at the weirdest times and I know a little bit about the scriptures and how if I touch the hem of a rabbi's garment and you are a rabbi and you have on a garment and I I don't want to be sick anymore and you're supposed to be the newest rabbi around here and I've been bleeding and when I touched you... When I touched you, it stopped. When I touched you, the bleeding stopped. And internally, she thinks, why in the world is he looking at me like that? Trembling, shaking. And then this man, who everyone loves begins to open his mouth. Daughter. Your faith has saved you. Daughter. This is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus calls anyone daughter. This unclean, impure wretch He has called daughter. And this is her first interaction in 12 years. And this man has just said to her in a world where she is outcast and unacceptable, You belong. These words of Jesus, they're much more than a temporary fix. He tells her that she's healed and then she can go in peace. That's a big Bible word. When you're in Israel, I've only been once, but I'll I'll talk like I go every weekend. Uh, when When they tell you goodbye, they say shalom. Now that's a word that's almost thrown around like all the words that we throw around. But the word means just deep peace. Twelve years she's had no peace. Twelve years she's lived in... A hellacious situation. Now hear me say this. She's still going to die and she will always have less than peaceful days. But what is the Lord trying to tell her? That her identity as his daughter gives her new reason. She has direction. Her life now has purpose. Standing out now has a whole new meaning. She stood out before because they pushed her to the side. She stands out now because of who she belonged to. He says the same to us in the face of tragedies that define us and the people who wound us. We are to stand out. One of Jesus' closest friends, you've heard of him, his name's Peter. He bumbled around all of the time. Was a guy who knew about standing out. In good times and in bad times, he wrote some of his thoughts about belonging to Jesus and his child. Being his child a few years later. He lets us know how Jesus loves us. He lets us know what Jesus does not love because we are changed. He lets us know that it is the love of Jesus that transforms us when He speaks to us and says to wretches, You belong. The passage says that she approached from behind and and touched the end of His robe. Uh, It's called a a zeet zeet. Like these are the tassels. I've got a picture of those tassels. Maybe I don't. I don't. It's cool. Imagine a tassel. A graduation style tassel. 
On the robe that Jesus wore, there were things hang, hanging like that. On the robe of the rabbi, there were things that hung like that. They were there. And when you look into the Old Testament, you see this idea of what the rabbi wore, of how the rabbi wore it. And you would even get the visual, according to some commentators and theologians, that when the rabbi would stand with his arms extended like this, it almost looked like wings. So when we see and we read that there is healing in the rabbi's cloak... The visual takes us to what we read in the book of Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise. This, this is pointing to Jesus, so let's not miss Jesus, the son of righteousness. And he will rise with healing in his wings. But the passage continues and it says this. And for those who have received that healing, you will go and you will playfully jump like calves from the stall. So we always talk about the healing within his wings, but we don't talk about the effect of those who have been healed. What it says is when we have received this healing from Jesus, this Messiah, this promised one, the healing that we receive from Jesus should cause our hearts to leap with joy, to bound with joy, to be overwhelmed by joy. How often is that us? I think about the words of Peter, and I think about the things that I say when I look at my walk with Jesus. Of course I'm a Christian, but I... I of course I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure that I really matter. Of course I'm a Christian, but here's the thing. My job, I'm an operator or I'm an engineer or I stay at home with my children. Of course I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I don't really have much of an impact on anyone. I still don't matter. We don't see that we stand out because we've defined standing out by comparing ourselves to those who are around us. And here's what Peter, who walked with Jesus, and more than likely, some say, is the one who said to him, everybody's touching you. This Peter would say this to every one of us who have decided that we don't matter based upon who we are and not who Jesus is. You are a chosen race. I've moved in to stand you out. But you don't get it. See, I'm divorced, and it was my fault, and my life is wrecked, and I know Jesus. I really do believe in Jesus, but I don't know how he could still care about me or how or why he would ever use me. And Jesus says to you, you are a royal priesthood. You're just like the priest in the Old Testament. You, as my child, have complete access to me. That's not been cut off by your failures. It's actually provided by my success. That's who Jesus is. My life is a wreck and I can't take a step without falling down. And Jesus says to you through Peter, you, friend, are a holy nation. You're not alone. I'm with you and you are part of a mighty, important kingdom. Other people should walk with you when you walk with me. I, I don't know or I don't have anyone in my life who cares. And Jesus says that you are a people of my own possession. I care. I don't know what I'm supposed to do You're to see how great and important I am and how I've given you light to see that you're now part of my people. Is Seeing that the healing that Jesus provides really does change who we are. I love this passage because... As we said earlier, this woman has just affected everyone around her. That's got to be part of her fear. They're all going to realize they're unclean. Their codified, structured understanding of what it means to deal with people like me, it's going to cause their lives to be completely inconvenient. This teacher that everyone wants to talk to, 
But what we'll find out is that as Jesus keeps walking and keeps stepping and keeps moving in the direction he was going, there's never a point where he, he delays. There's no place where her impurity made him impure. Who he is deals with impurity. That's why Paul will tell us in 2 Corinthians, He became sin. Chris Tomlin echoed this. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Our impurities are dealt with by the purity of Christ because it overwhelms them. So for every one of us who sit in this room and go to work and go to the store and do our thing every day, who are deciding that we are qualified as valuable and we matter because of who we are, I want you to know Jesus when you know him. He's the one who gives value to your life. And the value that he gives says things like, you belong to me, a royal people, a chosen possession, my people, you are mine. Your mind, that's what it means to walk with Jesus. So he deals with disease. I don't know what he needs to deal with in you today. I've been wrestling with what he needs to deal with in me. Moments where I short sell myself because I miss what he's actually provided. Moments where I'm not bold or vocal because I, for whatever reason, don't think what I say matters. And Jesus says, I validate you in ways that you could have never been validated before me, no matter how clean you were compared to everyone else. We find our hope in the person of Jesus who takes our impurity and gives purity in his place. Would you do this with me this morning? Would you bow your heads? If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to hear me say this as, as Jared and I get to serve and, as, and leading this church with our elders. Our church loves you. We care for people. But more than we love you, this Jesus who I've been talking about for 30 minutes, probably faster than I should, He loves you. He loves you deeply and He offers you hope. And I would pray, maybe, just maybe, today would be the day where you ask Christ to, to save you. Where you reach out your hand and you extend yourself to him. And, and, and he says to you, son or daughter, your faith, your faith. It's not really like the amount of it. It's the object of it that saves us. The person. And so if you're wondering, maybe you are a believer, but for whatever reason, you're one of the ones who would feel like you were a person of little faith. Your hope is in Jesus. And he just says, just pursue me, just love me. Come after me. Know me more. But you're not disqualified. For those of us who are in Jesus, I would pray that this passage would not cause us to invalidate the situation and circumstance of those that we spend our time with. That we would not believe because of the faults of a co-worker or what we have decided morally that is unclean. Hopefully we've not decided people are unclean. Hopefully we've not made the decision that people have no hope. Because the cleansing, hope-filled agent of the Bible is Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. There is healing in His wings. There is hope in Him. And 
I pray that we will be people who live like as a royal people, a chosen race, holy priests, pointing to the one who brings real change because he's the one who changed us. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you that I get to be part of their lives. I pray that you will remind them of your goodness and grace as we continue in song. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. If you need me, I'm over here in my back right-hand corner.